today, and let's go to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, and uh, we just want to briefly look at the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Christ. And I want to begin reading with verse number 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So let's, let's begin with a brief acknowledgement, and that is, all of us have been tempted before. All of us will be tempted again. There never has been and there certainly is not going to be a time when you or myself are not tempted in some way or another. We're in Matthew chapter 4, just beginning. So Jesus gives us a pattern and he establishes for us how we should act whenever we are tempted. Because as I said, all of us have been tempted. But here's what the scripture says. With every temptation, God makes an exit sign. He makes a way out of the temptation. So when the adversary comes to cause us to manifest things that are ungodly or comes to try to get us to do things or say things that are ungodly, we have power in that we do not have to yield to what he is saying to us. So verse 1, the first sentence tells us the Spirit of God led Jesus. So the Holy Ghost sometimes leads us along a path that may put us in a position where we'll be tempted. All of us have different paths. All of us have made different choices in our life. We have all chosen to do this or chosen to do that. But because of the fact we have chosen to live in this region, our path takes us through here. So our temptations are localized. They're localized to the things that are here, to the things that come to our family, to the things that we find attractive. And there are occasions where you're being led by the Spirit of God and he takes you down a certain path so that the adversary can get at you. Now, it doesn't mean the adversary is going to overcome you. And it certainly does not mean that the adversary has power over your life. But I want you to see in verse 1 again there in Matthew chapter 4 that it is the Holy Spirit that is leading Jesus. So if God ever touches your heart and asks you to go visit someone or if Jesus ever says to you to go and take a bag of groceries to someone, just as sure as he says that to you, the devil will come immediately to tell you that's not God. And what difference is your little bag of groceries going to make in somebody's life anyhow? 
Matthew chapter 4. So looking at the temptation of Christ in chapter four, verse number one, it says the spirit led him into the wilderness. Why is the wilderness significant? That is the place where there was less vegetation. That was a place that certainly was more deserted than an urban area. That is the place where the wild animals were, because the scripture tells us in the gospel of Mark that the, the beasts, the wild animals came to Jesus while he was during that time of temptation. So out here in a solitary place, this is a good place to fast. Now, if you don't fast, fasting is important. In Isaiah 58, it says that fasting is good because it is the humbling of our flesh in the sight of God. The turning down of the plate to fast a meal or two meals <clears throat> ensures that your belly will not be your God. And the fact that you should fast is important because the first sin in the Bible ever recorded is in connection with food. Adam and Eve went to the tree, saw the fruit, gobbled down the fruit. Here came sin. So when we talk about fasting, we are talking about the denial of the physical body, certain forms of sustenance. Now, there are times where people will fast just food and still have water. But then if you read the book of Esther, there are times when people fast both food and water. When Esther went before the king and had all of the people fasting for her, he told even the farmers, don't even let your cattle eat anything. Everything had to fast, you see. So the fasting then is the humbling of our flesh. This is what Jesus is doing. He's setting an example for us. Now, if you're the kind of person that if you miss a meal, you get a headache, that is why you need to fast. Because you've got something that has greater power over your flesh than, than needs to have power over your flesh. There are some people, if they don't have two cups of coffee before 9 a.m., they're going to have headaches and migraines and everything else. Then you shouldn't let something so small govern your life. See, Learn to turn the plate down and say, Lord, this time I'm giving to you. Now, if you have a job, that's more difficult. Because you have to exert yourself and you're busy looking after whatever your vocation may be. But even on the job, if it's possible where you don't produce a whole lot of sweat and stuff like that, you can still fast. You say, how? Just skip a meal. I've told people when we've come to church and they've had little ones and even older people sometimes, because you notice in some churches, some people feel like they have to have a bottle of water and they just have to drink water as if they just can't go an hour and a half or two hours without putting something in their mouth. But if they condition themselves mentally to believe that, well, I'm, I'm going to be dehydrated after two hours. Do you honestly believe you're going to faint after two hours or an hour and a half? No, you, you can do it if you commit your heart, mind, soul, strength to God and say, Lord, I'm giving this time to you and I want this to be a period of fasting. Now, through the years, although we may not have always been as good as we should with it, what day of the week has traditionally been our church, our church fast days? 
Thursdays. So that means I've always encouraged, encouraged people, if you're able, unless you're on a whole lot of medication or sick or something like that, you know, fast Thursday. Try to go sun up to sundown. If you can go longer, go longer, but, but try to fast sun up to sundown. Give that time to God and just allow him, if you're in a solitary place like Jesus was, just allow him to be able to saturate your mind with the word of God. Now, if you have to work and fast, and I've had to do that before, that's not always the easiest thing to do, but it can be done. And a lot of days where I went days without eating when I was working, just fasting, just a young man hungry for God, wanted more and more of God. But uh, fasting is definitely important. So in chapter four of Matthew, you can see verse two, where it says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. Don't ever go on a fast like that unless God directly speaks to you and gives you all kinds of signals and signs and wonders to let you know that that's what you're supposed to do. I have met people who've gone on 40 day fast where all they've had was water and just you know, just prayed and sought God. Uh, usually during a, a fast that's that long, people lose a lot of weight. Your taste buds come alive. You know, during that time, you, you find that the first three or four days is the toughest part for you during the fast. But there comes a point in time after about five, six or seven days where it doesn't even really bother you anymore. The smell of food doesn't even bother you anymore. But then comes the devil. See, then comes the devil, because it it just seems to me whenever you try to do an extended fast, that's when everybody makes your favorite food, your favorite pies and all of that kind of thing. And so the scripture teaches that if if you're going to go on a fast and you're married, it says make sure you talk to your spouse, because in first Corinthians, it said that's the period of time where the two should not come together physically. That means make sure you're in unity about how you're going to do that. So 40 days and 40 nights, verse 3, the tempter came. If you're going to try to do something spiritual, expect the devil to show up and try to stop you from doing it. The moment you say, I'm going to begin with learning how to fast by staying away from one meal, I can promise you the devil will come to you that very moment and say, you're never going to make it three hours without putting something in your mouth. You have to have it because you know you've got to take 37 pills tomorrow morning and you have to have some food inside of you. See? But when, you, when you're talking with him and you're dealing with God, then you can go to God and say, Lord, your grace is sufficient. You know that in the earnestness of my heart, I'm giving you this time. And then you go for it. See, then you go for it and you trust that God is a big God and he's a strong God. So verse three, the tempter came to Jesus. If he came to him, he'll come to you. And here's what the tempter says, because he doesn't normally come quietly. He comes talking. He said, if you're the son of God, command the stones to be made bread. Now, he knew Jesus was the son of God. There's no doubt about it. How do I know that? Because he had already heard when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the water, a voice came from heaven that said, behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So the devil knew exactly who Jesus was. He knows who you are. 
And he goes out of his way to stop you from fulfilling whatever plan God has for your life. And it usually starts with the kind of questions that challenges God's authority in your life and challenges your identity as a son of God. If you really are a child of God, show me, prove it. You don't have to prove anything. The devil wouldn't be saying it to you if he didn't know it was true. But I like what Jesus said in verse four. He said, it's written, man shall not live by bread. How many of you like the smell of fresh bread? Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, I do. It's been a lot of years, a lot of years. But I used to I used to make homemade bread there at the house and and I just love the smell of it. I mean, just when I'd roll it out and everything, then set it on top of the stove and just let it start to rise. Just the smell of bread. I absolutely love. And when he says here that man shall not live by bread alone, you know, when, you know, you read that and you start thinking, well, I, I don't know. I think I could. You know, I could certainly try as much as I like like some bread. However, Jesus is saying of more importance is the book, is the word of God, See, the word of God. And as much as we like to feed our physical bodies, we should be the same way with our spiritual man. Now, think about this. I'm not going to ask anybody in here by show of hands or anything. I'm not going to ask how many meals you've eaten today. And I'm not going to ask how much or how many times you've snacked today. I'm just going to assume that everybody came through the doors, having had something placed on their stomach. But I will ask this question, though. How many times did you read the Bible today? And how many times did you meditate on the scripture today? See, and if you compare the way that you feed your spiritual man with uh, with with how you feed your natural man, you'll see that our spiritual man very often is starving to death. Yeah. And the devil comes and he challenges us and he says, look. You got to do a miracle for me and show me that you can make a transformation of these stones into bread. But Jesus made it very plain that there's there's nothing about the miracle that we should live by. We should live by the word of God. That's the key. If somebody was going to take something from me, I would want them to leave with me the Bible, you know, take everything else. But let me hold on to some scriptures. But if somebody was going to take my Bible, then I try to fulfill the verse that says thy word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So that's why it's good to learn to to memorize scripture. Start off with a sentence, memorize a sentence, then memorize a verse. Then after you've memorized a verse, try to memorize a paragraph. After you've gone through a paragraph, maybe you can work yourself up to a to a chapter. See, and after you've done a chapter, maybe you can actually memorize all of Jude. Or all of 1st John or 2nd John, then parts of 3rd John. The more of God's word that saturates you, the more ammunition you have to fight against the devil when he comes to you. But remember, if you don't put anything in the bank, you can't withdraw anything. And if you don't put anything inside of you, when the devil comes, you don't have the ability to resist him. So when temptation comes, you just fall. Yeah, happens to people all the time. So look at verse five of Matthew chapter four, verse number five. So the devil takes him up into the holy city. That's Jerusalem. 
Now, Jesus obviously didn't have to let the devil take him anywhere, but this is all a demonstration and puts him on the pinnacle of a temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. It is written. He's quoting a psalm. Now, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands. They'll bear thee up, lest at any time you dash your foot against the stone. So he's saying, look, we're up here at the pinnacle. You just go ahead, take a 30 inch step and drop. And then pretty soon the angels are going to grab you and pick you up. So if Jesus would have done this, this would have been the first time hang gliding was recorded in the Bible. If he would have did it, but he didn't do it. See, he didn't do it. What he said to the devil was, it is written that you shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. Now, if Satan shouldn't do it, we shouldn't do it either. We shouldn't do it either. Don't ever put God in a position where in order for him to prove that he's really God to you, that he has to do something in order to demonstrate that he really is God. He's God whether you believe or don't believe. He's God if he never saves another soul on this planet. He's God if he never heals another body. He's God if he never starts another church and builds another church. He's God regardless. The scripture just simply says, do not tempt the Lord your God. So we don't do that. Now, we, we all at some point, I'm sure we have done that. And this is how we probably did it. We said, well, God, if this is really you, could you... Give me a sign. We've all said that before, you know. And, and of course, I, I, think, I think very often uh, the, the younger we are in the faith, we do those things. But there are certain occasions when you've been walking with the Lord a long time where you're looking for some kind of indication from the king. But for the devil, of course, he's tempting the Lord because he does not want to obey him. Now we're not like that. Our desire is to obey him. When Gideon said to the Lord, I'm going to put a fleece out here and I'm going to go to bed. And tomorrow morning, could you let the fleece be wet and let it be dry all around it? Then I'll know this is you. The Lord said, OK, that'll be fine. So next morning he got up, the fleece was wet. He still didn't believe. So he went back again. He said, Lord, well, this time, could you let there be dew all around the fleece, but let the fleece be dry? See, some people just God can't give enough signs. And so he, he did it again. And so finally he got the picture. OK, God, you're on my side. And we're just like that. You know, we're just like we're constantly looking for affirmation. We're like the little kid that, that needs to be held, embraced and hugged and told over and over again how wonderful you are. And that's how Gideon was. His whole com mental complex was I'm from a, a very lightly esteemed tribe. I'm from the smallest tribe and nobody likes us. And I'm already living in fear anyway. So the Bible says for us. That if, if the devil comes and he says to you, you, you should try to get God to do a miracle, stay away from that. You know, I've had people come to me before and say things like this. If if you really believe that, that God still does what's recorded in Acts chapter two, let, let, let me hear you speak with tongues. And I just look at them. I just say, who, who are you that I need to prove anything to you? And who are you that I need to demonstrate anything for you? Or they'll say something like, well, well, if, if you believe that Jesus still heals, go to the lay, go to the local nursing home and clear it out of all the sick people. I said, well, number one, I, I'm not a healer. 
I never claimed to be a healer. Just said we can pray and ask Jesus. But I said, you tell me you believe Jesus saves. Why don't you go to every red light district in, in Omaha and get all of them off the streets? Or, or clear up your village of every sinner that's there. Then it gets quiet when you start saying that. But, but the whole point is, we shouldn't be in the business of trying to tempt people to produce power. Well, look at, look at verse, verse number eight. So again, I mean, many of you know the devil keeps coming. He keeps coming, yeah. Again, the devil takes him up to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith, all these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Now that had to be one big mountain. Think about that. Go up to the top of a mountain, then just in a moment of time, in a flash, he shows him all the kingdoms. So there you've got your first moving picture show. See? Just in a moment, the adversary revealed all of this stuff, and Jesus got a glimpse of it, and he still did not want it because he wanted God. Some people, when presented with the option of having the glory and the kingdoms of this world, they bow down and sign their lives over to the adversary rather than staying with God. But verse 10, Satan, get behind me, Satan, where it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou worship. I don't know if any of you ever heard the story of Mahalia Jackson, but she was a very famous gospel singer way back yonder, had a beautiful voice, but she was one of these ladies, obviously grew up in difficult times, segregation and everything, but she always had these managers and people from these record companies trying to get her to come and sing blues and secular music because she had a you know pretty strong voice somewhat raspy voice and it was certainly a captivating voice but she said as a little girl she made a promise to God that she would use her voice only for the king only for the king Here's, here's a woman that came to know the Lord, gave herself to God wholly. Now you contrast that with the number of people you and I have heard of who grew up in church. And at some point, because they could sing or whatever they could do, here comes somebody that says, you know, if you just change your words a little bit and if you sign with us, then we can help you cross over. So whether it was uh, country music or whether it was some kind of rock and roll or whatever, R&B, people leave what is the, the background of God in order to go over into the secular world where they have all the applause and the attention and the glory and the fan clubs. And do you realize that, that very often these people live hollow lives and shallow lives? And when they get older, the one thing they seem to always try to do is make their way back to their roots. I listened to them on interview after interview. They said, oh, I can remember when we were just a little kid. We went to a little church out in the country, lived in the Appalachian Mountains, and Daddy would pull out the old banjo. Mama would get the harmonica, and all of us had instruments, and we'd all get out there and play, and we'd beat on. Somebody would play the drums, or somebody would play the bottles, and somebody would beat a can, and we'd have a wonderful time. Oh, how I miss those times. 
Well, see, now they're playing before thousands of people in packed auditoriums, or they're going from one bar and saloon to the next, playing for all of these people, and they're singing things that don't have anything to do with God. But at some point, a choice was made. They came to an intersection in their life, and here was God over here. They weren't making a whole lot of money doing that, but yet they were serving God and had given him his heart, mind, soul, and strength. But they came to the intersection, and they saw the fast lane towards the money. They saw the kingdoms. They saw the glory. And they said, I can do that, and I can still have him. And so they bowed down to that, and they lost him. They lost him. How do you know they lost them? Look at their lifestyle, okay? Nine husbands later, all right? Eight wives later. Obviously, he was lost in the fog of all of that. Somebody lost their ability to enjoy God because this book will guide your steps. It won't keep us from making mistakes, or I should say, we, it, we won't come to a place in our life where we won't make mistakes, but this will guide us and keep us from making certain mistakes. So don't bow down to the pressure of the world. It's the temptation that comes to all of us. How can I do the things of God and yet have all that the world wants me to have? That's, that's the temptation. And people are interested in that. I think I told you years ago, uh, Mr. Gates, Bill Gates, the, the guy who's telling all of us today that, that we need to learn to start eating synthetic beef. You know, he's probably got a staff of chefs and eats whatever he wants, but he wants us to eat synthetic beef. He, he, he said one time he's going to build a house big enough to make God jealous. Think of that. Okay? I can promise you anybody who has the earth as his footstool. It's not going to be jealous over anything some contractors make here on planet Earth. You understand that? That's important. That's important to know. So the devil, he comes to you and he says, now, look, it's not going to be a problem if you go ahead and steal that little bit of money on your job. And he says, look, there's, there's nothing wrong with cheating on your taxes from, from, you know, from time to time. After all, the government's been cheating for a long time, you know. And he comes and he says, well, you know, nobody's ever really going to know if, if you're stepping out on your spouse. And besides, who, who, who's going to really care anyhow? See, there's always a temptation that he brings to you and he brings to me. But our response in verse 10, get thee hence, Satan, give no place to the devil. See? Give no place, give him no ground. Now, let's let's think about it this way in a, a more a more personal way. If if you didn't like me and I was hostile towards you and everything about me just repulsed you, is is there a good chance that I'd get in your house? Probably not. No, probably not. If you if you really, really didn't like me and then one day you got up, you know, three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And you saw a pastor's face pressed against your window. That, that's probably not going to gain me any friends and, and I'd probably have one more enemy. So you wouldn't be happy at all. And then if if you looked over there and saw my face and I was looking at you and then I said, hey, come around and open up the door. You'd be probably inclined to pull down the shade and make sure you didn't open up the door. If you went to the door, you throw a few more locks on there. See, 
So this is how we should be with the adversary. The devil is doing everything he can to get into your marriage. He's doing everything he can to get into your life. He wants to get into this church. If he ever gets into this church, he comes wearing a pair of pants or a skirt or a dress or a suit. That's the only way he can come and manifest himself. But once we identify him, it's at that point we say, get behind me, Satan. See? So if you, if you see your grandkids, your children, and the adversary is attacking them and causing all kinds of problems, then you begin to pray. And you begin to say, oh, no, devil, you get behind us in the name of Jesus. You are not going to have this grandchild. You're not going to have a place in our home. You're not going to have a place in this church. And if you don't do that and you just sit down on the couch and be quiet about it, I can promise you, you can sit there and eat potato chips and Doritos and he'll sit right there and eat them with you. And he'll be so glad that you're taking the time to go through all of that when he's trying to destroy you and kill you and you should be resisting him and fighting him. Imagine if somebody came up to you in the store and you weren't bothering anybody and they just grabbed you by the neck. If you got any sense, once you finally get your bearings about yourself, you're going to try to resist and fight back and get out of that person's clutches. That's exactly how you have to be with the devil. You can't just let him come in and overrun your life and then just say, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. He's called you to be more than a conqueror. See? And more than a conqueror means you keep fighting. The scripture says, thanks be to God who causeth us to triumph in all things. That means it's not over until you win. Yeah, until you win. You just keep on fighting until you win. You don't give up. I told you my dad, he, he was not a, a Christian man, and so he just didn't believe in fair fights at all. He thought if he, he'd say this, he said, look, if you, somebody in school there says to you, you know, after school it's going to be you and me out there in the school grounds. My dad said, you don't wait till you get on the outside. Hit them on the inside. Hit him on the inside. And then he said, after you hit him on the inside, he said, pick up anything. Grab a chair. If you can lift the desk, pick it up, throw it on top of him. And then he said, if you get to where you're wrestling and holding each other, he said, bite his ear. Put your thumb in his eye. Anything. He just said anything so that when he finally has to be broken apart from you, if he sees you walking down the road, he'll want to just cross over to the other side and come down the sidewalk. That's what happens when you grow up in an unsaved house. But my, but my point is simple. If you don't learn to fight, then the devil will just take over. And the Bible says a man or woman with an, with an unruly spirit is like a town or a village that has no walls. You can't even keep the enemy out. He just walks in whenever he wants to. And here you are fighting and screaming at one another one moment. And then the next moment you're crying and you're in depression. And then the next moment you're up on the mountain singing God is good. And then the next day you're back down in the valley saying I wonder if God even knows I'm alive. And then pretty soon you're wondering if God exists. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Look at another verse. So Matthew 4, 
Verse 10 says, Thou shalt worship the Lord your God, and him only shalt thou serve. Let your body be given to the Lord to serve him continually. Now what that means is that all of us on this path are at different places in our Christian life. So what may be a weight to you may not necessarily be a weight to me. And all of us may have different views and ideas on some things with regard to what's good, what's bad, and what's not so bad. However, make sure you allow your body to be a servant of the king. That's important. That's the, that's the plan of God. The, the devil wants to use your body to serve him. So he'd like to have your tongue so that you would gossip. That's what he would like. He, he, he'd love for you to spend hour after hour just gossiping about people in a negative way, in a terribly bad way. He'd like to take your mind and just use it as a place where he can bring as many embittered thoughts and grudge-bearing thoughts and unclean thoughts as he could place in your head. That's what he wants to do. Yeah. So the Bible says don't just serve the Lord with your body, Paul said, but I also serve the Lord with my mind. My mind. How do I do that? I, I try to meditate on his word, but we all know that's not a 24-hour deal. There's some, you know, if, if I say the word grasshopper, you don't think of a horse. You have images of a grasshopper immediately when I say that. So words, because words carry images and information attached to them, when you hear a word, you think about that. If I say fried chicken, you don't think about turkey. You think about fried chicken. And the adversary knows that. So when you're sitting in service sometimes, he'll plant messages in your mind, even as someone is teaching the scripture, because his design and desire is to distract you. Now, my mother-in-law isn't here right now, so if she was here, I wouldn't want to tell this story. But, but when, when Brother Swaggart used to be up teaching sometimes in the morning messages, and if, if it was one of those messages where she thought she had heard before, she'd pull out a pen and a piece of paper and go to doing her grocery list up there in the choir stand. Yeah, yes, that, 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 those are her words. I didn't make that up. Those are her words, okay? But, but you can understand how, how the adversary can easily distract us. I've seen people, when I've been in the midst of teaching and ministering the word of God, I can tell when people zone me out I can tell when people have left me, and I mean, they're taking a road trip. They're headed down to Branson, you know, as, as I'm teaching the Word. I can see it. I can tell. And when you don't teach with notes, like I very often don't, I see people's faces as I'm teaching. But, of course, if, if the preacher's looking down like this all the time, and then every, every minute and a half he does like this and then goes back down, I mean, everybody they can fix their car. They can repair their homes. They can do whatever they want to do. But with our minds, we try to serve God. See, we try to serve God. We're not always the best, but we, we, we do the best that we can. I mean, you know as well as I do, if, you, if you're around people who are unbelievers, 
You're going to hear words that you don't want to hear sometimes. Yeah, it happens. And, and if, if you hear enough of that and it gets in, if you're not continually washing your mind daily, then pretty soon when you get into a tough jam, that stuff will start coming out of your mouth. This, this takes a disciplined life, folks. Yeah, I've had plenty of people try to explain to me why uh, they felt justified in cussing out their, their kid or something like that. There's no justification for that. The Bible makes it very plain. We should use our lips so that they're seasoned with grace. Talking about our conversation. And the Bible says that with our tongues, it should not be sweet water and bitter coming out of the same fountain. That takes work. That takes time. When, when I was a kid, I heard words. I knew words that a little kid probably should not have known. But that's because my mom and dad used language that probably shouldn't have been used around little kids. And then when I became a Christian, even as a young person, then, of course, words then now had to be tapered and my mind had to be renewed so those words wouldn't come out of here. Because I don't know whether you know it or not, but there are a whole lot of young people around here that are not adults that use language they shouldn't use. Yeah. And I've been to a few basketball games and wrestling matches and things like that where I've had kids around me saying stuff with, with grandparents around. And I, and I just politely turned around and said, could you please not talk like that? I've been with Tiffany before and been in restaurants and have gone to places just, just you know, I, my wife, she's a lady. Could you not use language like that in her presence? Because there was a time when people were gentlemen-like and they knew that in the presence of a woman they didn't talk a certain way or act a certain way. But now it doesn't matter. I introduce myself, somebody find out I'm a reverend or a pastor or a preacher. I mean, they become as foul and as vulgar as they can just to see what kind of reaction I'll have, you know. You know then some people, they'll just cuss and they'll say something like, well... Uh, uh, reverence, pardon my French, you know. So I know that wasn't French because I understood what you said. It wasn't French at all, you see. But I'm trying to get you to see that we use our body to serve God. And though we fail, we get right back up on the horse and go to walking with God again, see. We don't just live in condemnation and stay down there in the mud puddle. Just dust yourself off. Say, Father, please forgive me. Help me, God, to live this thing again and just start walking. Don't stand there where you messed up and let the devil put guilt and condemnation and shame on you. Parents, you can't go back and re-raise your kids. Adults, you can't go back and change what happened 10 years ago or two years ago. Young people, you can't go back and change anything from three or four years ago. All we can do is affect our future by how we live right now. Because everybody in here, we are a product of choices made in the past. Whether we made them or somebody else made them. I didn't ask to be here. My mom and dad told me plenty of times, you surprised us when you got here. I said, well, how could I surprise you? You made me. See? And then, you know, there are people who turn around and they'll say things like, well, 
You know, you're going to end up being like your mom and dad when you grow up. You don't have to be like your natural mom and dad. You can be just like your heavenly father. And you can choose to live in accordance with scripture. Now, let me finish up. So verse 11 of Matthew 4. Then the devil leaves him. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him. So the first 10 verses are about the temptation of Christ. Verses 3 through 10 are about the actual the uh, confrontation between the devil and Jesus, and Jesus resisted him. And verse 11 says, now the devil leaves. So James chapter 5 says, resist the devil and he will leave. When he will leave, I don't know. That he will leave, I know is going to happen. But you've got to resist him. Just stand your ground and just say, Satan, I refuse to believe that. You keep telling me that I'm defeated, I'm never going to be an overcomer, that my life is destined to death. Absolutely not. I'm strong in the Lord. Greater is he that's within me. And you just keep resisting the devil with your thoughts. Then resist him with your life. Change your habits. And when you change your habits, you create new habits. So when the devil leaves, you can see here in verse 11, the angels of God come on the scene. So God provides divine assistance, and we need that. I know I need that. Remember, here's a hungry man. The devil is attacking him because he's physically weak, but the angels of God come to strengthen him. They did this for Jesus here at the beginning of his ministry. They did it for Jesus at the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. So here's a question. How much angelic help do we need? I don't know. I don't know if you're like me, but I can tell you I, I, I like sugar. I like pies. I like cakes. I like rolls. I like donuts. I like candies. I like, I like fruit if it has a lot of sugar in it. I like anything that is sweet. So I'm telling you, when it comes to trying to walk with God, I need divine assistance sometimes to help me to stay away from stuff. Yeah. And, and sugar is... It's, it's one of those things, you know, some, some people like ice cream, you know, a little bowl of ice cream, a couple of scoops of ice cream every night. I like a pint of it every night. Yes, I like a pint of it. Well, God has to help us put everything under, you see. So, so this is why I think a fasted life is so, so good. If a, if a person can live a fasted life, where they can make it on a meal a day. See, if a person can, can go from morning to afternoon, late afternoon, morning to evening, if a person can go that long and not eat, it's a wonderful thing. But it doesn't help if, if you always have a pastor coming by to drink coffee in the morning. You know, doesn't help, you know. Yeah, I know it doesn't help. But regardless... When temptation comes, folks, be bold enough and brave enough to let me know. Pastor, we're not, we're not eating anything today. We're not drinking any coffee or nothing like that. Today is a day we're, we're giving to the Lord. Then just let me go rummage through the refrigerator if I want to. And that'll be 
just fine. But, but folks, we're more than overcomers, and, and God wants us to be strong in him, strong in him. Amen? Amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. 